Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the 3 Out Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing a number of CFL players getting NFL workouts. Former CFL quarterback Chris Streveler securing his NFL pension with the New York Jets. Riders president Craig Reynolds talking up the new CFL schedule. Canadian running back Chase Brown declaring for the 2023 NFL draft. And the Riders reportedly adding Naaman Roosevelt to their coaching staff. But first, Montreal has officially hired Jason Moss, the league's worst kept secret as the Alouettes head coach, following his firing as the offensive coordinator in Saskatchewan last season. Longtime assistant coach Andre Balduc, who interviewed for that same Montreal head coach job following a nine year run with the Alouettes, has subsequently joined the Riders as their running backs coach, while the Owls elected not to renew the contract of President Mario Cicchini. Hodge, what do you make of all these changes in La Belle Provence? My French is lackluster at best, but I think I would best describe this situation as une mess. Is that <laughs> is that the proper French word? <laughs> this this seems like a mess, boys. And and that's not to say that Jason Moss is not a good coach. I think he did a lot of good things as the head coach in Edmonton over his time there. No, they were not able to have a ton of success in the postseason. That was, you know, the Stampeders were owning the West Division at that time. They weren't able to kind of break that Stampeder ceiling, so to speak. I will say that it's clear that the relationship that Jason Moss and Danny Machocha have from their time at Edmonton together played a large role in this hiring. This does not seem to have been a legitimate head coaching search in the way that Ottawa was, where there were truly eight candidates for the job. To me, this seems like more of a situation where there was one candidate for the job and they made a dog and pony show of interviewing a bunch of internal candidates to maybe hype up their their stock a little bit. I will acknowledge that I did think that Noel Thorpe was going to get this job because of how close he is with Danny Machocha. I wonder if Trevor Harris and his pending free agency maybe played a role in Jason Moss getting the job. Of course, Harris and Moss were together at Edmonton in 2019 together and had success there. Right. Going into I think it was the I think they actually won the East semifinal that year. So albeit not a West playoff game, they did win a playoff game together. Uh, that being said, boys, let's talk about the president situation. Mario Cicchini came to the Alouettes a few years ago. He has raised attendance. He has also helped garner more local sponsorships. He is, of course, bilingual, which is very important in that market. 
And Gary Stern, who we don't know how long will still be the minority owner of this team, because, of course, his late father-in-law, Sid Spiegel, his estate now controls 75% of the ownership of the team, apparently did not want Chikini back. Obviously, if he wanted Chikini back, Chikini would still be there. So to me, this seems like a classic Alouette's one step forward, two steps back situation. I still think that this team can compete in 2023, but this is not the result that I would have been hoping for personally if I was an Alouette's fan. Yeah, with Chikini, it seems like it's, excuse me, my dog is barking here. Please, I know the Alouettes are a mess, but we're not doing that right now. Okay. Your dog Um, is obviously not a fan of the Montreal Alouettes. No, no, he's very upset about Mario Chikini not being back with the organization. He very rarely barks, but this is just an outrage. Um, It's a poor decision in my mind. It really is. And it looks like one of those situations where Chikini was the guy doing all the work behind the scenes to make progress with, with this club. And Gary Stern was sort of this overt public face and maybe he wanted a little bit more love for his tweets and he wasn't giving enough love to the guy who was actually doing the work to help the alouettes drag themselves out of irrelevancy i think it's egregious that he's not back this season and i think it really hurts this organization now they might find someone else who can come in and do the role just as well as chikini was doing it But that's a gamble, right? You had someone in there who cared deeply about this organization, who wanted to be back, who wanted to continue the good work he was doing. That's not something in the CFL that comes around every day, right? You you find a good person, you stick with it. I am very disappointed to see that he will not be continuing with the Alouettes. And as for Jason Moss... It's not the most egregious coaching hire we've ever seen, right? I liked some of what Jason Moss did in Edmonton. I thought he was, in fact, perhaps fired a little bit too early. He had a winning record there. He took them to the playoffs, right? Those are all good signs. But if you're the Alouettes, it's so difficult to be able to sell, not just to your fan base, But to all those guys, all those internal candidates you brought in for these fake interviews and and had this dog and pony show, as you described, Hodge, and then say, hey, by the way, we're going to give it to the fired offensive coordinator of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who had one of the worst offenses in the league last season. That's the guy we're going to hire instead of you. That's a difficult sell to the people in your organization and to the people watching it and by the way we fired kahari jones last year because of discipline issues with the team but we're gonna hire jason moss who likes to throw hissy fits on the sideline and break headsets and and punch gatorade bottles that's what we think this team needs now it just doesn't make a lot of sense from a presentation standpoint And I wish Jason Moss nothing but success there. And like I said, I liked some of the things he did at Edmonton. And I do believe he deserves another shot as a head coach. But it just seems like all these things coming together for the Alouettes is going to make it very difficult for this team to be cohesive next year. The one key here and behind the scenes in terms of what's going on is Danny Machocha is pulling the strings, all right? He's a master politician, and I believe, even though he won't say it publicly, 
that one day, and he might already be doing some of these duties already, he wants to be the president. Now, part of that is from a financial standpoint, because as we know, those salaries do not go under the non-football operations cap, or sorry, the football operations cap, the non-player operations cap. And I think he's eyeing that increase in salary, but also Machocha likes being in control. When he was at the University of Montreal, that entire football program was under his control. He could largely do whatever he wanted. Yes, part of that was because he won and he won a Vanier Cup there with the Carabin. But it's also the way that he likes to go about things. And it's the reason why Machocha had, let's say, some tempered or measured interest in those open Alouettes positions the last time before they had Cavus Reed as the general manager there. So this is really what's at play here from my perspective, from knowing Machocha, from talking to people around the league, because a lot of people were surprised that Mario Cicchini was not being brought back as president. But Cicchini was brought in as a guy that Machocha knew and also a guy that Machocha could control. That is also the key with Jason Moss. It would have been the same with Noel Thorpe as head coaches. Haji, I think you would agree with this. Machocha wants people in there that he can control, that are under his thumb. Now, that's smart from his own perspective. But if the team does not do well under Moss after Kahari Jones was fired, as you alluded to, JC, is not going to look good on Machocha, but then he'll spin it because he is this master in the media, this master politician, as I alluded to, and say, hey, well, I'll just come back down to the sidelines and get this team in the playoffs and be very close to going to a great cup like he did last year. So the results speak for themselves in that instance. The fact that Machocha was able to get that team very close to going to a great cup, especially with Trevor Harris at quarterback, but having Moss as your head coach just doesn't seem to line up from any perspective except for the fact of their relationship. So this is why we need people out here calling it like it is, and you guys have done a great job of this for the site. And I think there's only a few other reporters in the country out there that actually call it as it is, that this was not a wide-open coaching search. This job was going to go to Jason Moss for months. We knew that before he was fired in Saskatchewan. Now, Noel Thorpe living in Machocha's house, as Hodge has noted on this podcast in the past, maybe made that a little bit closer of a decision, but it was always going to be Moss. And that needs to change in this league overall in terms of earned positions because I would look at a guy like Jordan Maximic with what he did with Nathan Rourke and that offense in BC and say, that's a guy that we could sell to the fans. That's a guy that could pair with Trevor Harris, who also has a connection with him from their Edmonton days. That could be an exciting offense here in Montreal that might bring more fans into the building. So that's a larger perspective in terms of the coaching searches in this league. And I think some people, and we've done this, will bash the coaching searches in this league. But then you also look at the example of Jeff Saturday going from ESPN in an analyst role and having coached just high school football to being the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So there's some politics at play with Jim Irsay as well. So it doesn't just not happen in the CFL, but I think it only in the CFL moment happened where you have a fired coach of a team that did not make the playoffs being elevated with another franchise. I don't think that happens very often in pro sports in any league. Yeah, and I, I've got the the head coaching record here. So over four seasons in Edmonton, Jason Moss went 39 and 33 
in full fairness to him, he did win three playoff games. That's more than I thought. They did win uh, the East or the East semifinal two times, the West semifinal once. However, that team never finished higher than third in their division. They finished third once, fourth twice, and fifth once in 2018, albeit with a 500 record. The issue is Kahari Jones went 18 and 18 in Montreal, and we have to remember the circumstances of his first season. This was not somebody who was given the head coaching job after a thorough search in 2019. This was somebody who was thrown into the head coaching job after training camp when the team fired Mike Sherman at the last possible second, right, going into that year. And so when you look at this situation, right, with Gahari Jones, and Joel Gaston wrote a great column on this, we know that people of color are underrepresented in these type of head coaching roles. And I think some people took Joel's article as meaning that, oh, well, uh, you know, Joel's trying to suggest that Jason Moss is a bad coach uh, or he just got this job because he's white. And that is not at all what Joel was saying. What Joel was saying is it's unfortunate that the threshold for, for people of color and women trying to get these roles seems to be a higher threshold than people who are white. Because as you said, Jason Moss was just fired for having what was, in my opinion, the worst offense in the CFL. They gave up 77 sacks and never seemed to make the proper adjustments, right, to stop that from happening. And having Cody Fajardo, I think, take 61 of those sacks, which is unbelievable. So to me, anyways, I think that that was a great column. I think it's something that needs to be talked about because we can't have a situation where minority coaches are given one strike and you're out and non-people of color are given 10 strikes and you're out. That's not fair. And it's our job as members of the media to call that out and criticize it if that's what we see. Yeah, you, you hit the nail exactly on the head when it comes to Jason Moss there, Hodge. It's not just that he had the worst offense in the CFL last year. It's that he failed to make adjustments. It's one thing when you're an offensive coordinator and you have problems with your personnel. I think we can all look at that and recognize you're not all powerful. You're not going to make something tremendous out of a poop sandwich, as I've said before on this podcast. But you have to make adjustments. You have to do the best you can with what you've got And what we saw from Jason Moss last year was no adjustments, right? We saw a bad offensive line that was struggling to pass protect, and he put the ball in Cody Fajardo's hands more instead of leading on a running game that was relatively successful compared to the rest of the offense, right? Both Jamal Morrow and Frankie Hickson had very strong seasons, but too often in the second halves of games where the Riders were still in it, Moss went away from that and ended up losing the game because of his weakness up front, pass blocking, and Kogi Fajardo taking all those sacks, not making the adjustments to the personnel he had. That's a big red flag, and to me, you can't reward that with a promotion. That's It just seems completely incongruous to me. You can't reward someone who has shown too much rigidity in in one situation and has shown that there are problems with his coaching that need to be corrected and then say, here, here's the keys to everything. You're the guy now for our organization. That just doesn't work for me. 
I wonder if Jason Moss tried to put any condiments or sauces on that poop sandwich because that might have helped it taste a little bit better to Ryder fans, but I don't think that was the case. Let's stop talking about poop, boys. BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke and Riders receiver Kean Schaefer-Baker have had the most NFL workouts of any CFL players with six and eight, respectively. Though others have had them as well, including Elks quarterback Trey Ford, Argos defensive back Jamal Peters, Bombers defensive back Tyrell Ford, Bombers receiver Dalton Schoen, and Red Blacks receiver Jalen Acklin, among others. Which player do you think has the best chance of signing south of the border? Is this even the question, Hodge? What, like, why are you throwing softballs my way? Nathan Rourke <laughs> has the best chance of signing south of the border. We've known this for months. It's a foregone conclusion at this stage. He may have a couple more workouts here in the new year. He might not. He may just take the offers that he's already starting to receive and make a decision based on the eight teams he's already worked out for. Uh, the kid is going to get his NFL opportunity. It's going to be a spot where he can battle for a number two position. And I think he's going to excel. Now, as for the other names on this list, I think there are a number of players who are going to get signed in the NFL. Keon Schaefer Baker, that amount of workouts. And we all know just how athletic that kid is. I I mean, we talk about Jason Moss in the last second. Uh, segment why didn't he get the ball in Keon Schaefer Baker's hands a little bit more in in, in more creative ways throughout the season because he's a guy who is going to get an NFL opportunity as well and then you look down the list Jamal Peters Dalton Schoen those guys I think are foreground conclusions to get some sort of NFL look and then there's the intrigue and and I think you'll speak to this a little bit more dunk but the Ford brothers guys who didn't play a whole lot as rookies but have these high-end athletic traits, NFL teams are looking at them more now than they did a year ago. It's interesting, right? And I won't go too much into Rourke because I think everybody knows my stance on him. I think he's better than a lot of quarterbacks, even that started games in the NFL during this current season. Adam Schefter, the great ESPN NFL insider, had a stat last week that there was up to, I think, 64 or 65 quarterbacks that have started games in the NFL so far this season. And I think Rourke is better than at least half of those guys, if not more. So I just hope he gets a legitimate look. As for Shake and Bake, Key and Schaefer Baker, 100% agree with you on getting him the ball more. And I think that should have happened at the University of Guelph because maybe he would have got more NFL looks if he had better stats. And that necessarily wasn't on him there. I think the Griffins should have force-fed him the football, but really his abilities have shined through regardless of the lack of targets, be it at the U-sports level or the CFL level. So let's get to the Ford brothers. I think, first of all, with Trey Ford, the fact that him and honestly his brother have been in a pro atmosphere now and there can be some back and forth with a guy perhaps, let's say, like a Michael Shea on Tyrell Ford or a Chris Jones in Edmonton. We know how well Jones is connected in the NFL. O'Shea will have those contacts as well as will a Kyle Walters or a Teddy Govaya or Danny McManus for Ford. So I think that helps because it gives NFL teams more of a base in terms of the research, but also the competition level that these guys were going against. It's very rare for a U-sports athlete at a skill position, and I know both of you guys hate those terms, so I'll say <laughs> a non-lineman position 
to get an opportunity coming straight out of Canadian University football. So what that rookie year has done for both the Ford brothers has given these NFL scouts a competitive level that they actually have an idea of what it's like and where guys have gone from the CFL to the NFL and in terms of various different ways played at different types of levels. We've seen Cam Wake play at a Pro Bowl level for multiple years down there. And other guys can stick on rosters and be valuable special teams guys. So I think you look at a guy like Trey Ford, has those athletic traits, had the best athletic traits of any quarterback coming out in 2022 in his draft class. Now that he's been in a pro system for a year, you've seen him against CFL competition, although it's been limited in just a couple, well, it was a few starts, but really a couple because he got hurt early in that other one against the Calgary Stampeders. That helps, right? So you look at a situation, and he just recently worked out for the New England Patriots, where they have Mac Jones, who they drafted high, but then Bailey Zappi, JC, you know my boy, who threw the heck out of the ball in the NCAA, had some starts this year. And Bill Belichick is a guy that he's shown in the past that sometimes likes to keep defenses on their toes with packages on offense, except when they're not throwing the ball backwards for laterals and having the Raiders take it back for a game-winning touchdown, like Chandler Jones said. Thank you very much. But I think that's the intrigue of Ford. You could get him in there. You could have a package for him and then potentially develop him more as a passer because that definitely needs to happen. But he has those intriguing athletic traits, as does his brother Tyrell. To me, I'm going to talk about two different guys. I'm going to talk about Jamal Peters a little bit. Jamal Peters, I think, flew under the radar a little bit this year because he plays for Toronto, right? If he had six picks playing in Saskatchewan or Winnipeg or Hamilton, I think everybody would have been talking about him. Though he was named a CFL All-Star this past season. He's a player who at 6'2", 220, just turned 26 years old, probably on the cusp, right, age-wise of getting down there. Though, with that being said, I mean, he's he's not too old. And when he has that combination of size and athleticism and physicality, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get down there. Also, not a guy who necessarily had a real shot after going undrafted in 2019 because he got hurt in his first training camp as a member of the Indianapolis Colts, got released with an injury settlement. Dalton Schoen is the other one. Schoen, I think we were all surprised to see he didn't get more workouts early. He has now worked out for the Vikings and the Cardinals, and I'm told that he has another workout coming later this week on Friday. And so the more that he gets those opportunities, the more I think his chances of getting signed go up. Though with that being said, you know, as much, and I don't mean to disrespect Dalton Schoen, I got a front row seat all season watching him dominate the CFL. 16 touchdown catches as a rookie is ridiculous. To me, he's never screamed NFL. He's He's big, but he's not that big. He's fast, but he's not that fast. And when you don't have that eye popping 40 time, you're not six foot four, six foot five, like he and Schaefer Baker is. It's a little tougher, I think, to get a look. And this is probably his last chance to do so because, again, he's 26. If he tries to make the league at 27, 28, it just gets tougher and tougher and tougher because scouts want to see younger players and they want to see guys who are closer to the start of their careers than even to the midpoint of their careers, much less the end of their careers. So to me, I could see Peters and Schoen getting signed, but for the reasons you guys have listed, they're maybe a little further down my list behind some of those guys. So just to touch on Schaefer Baker quickly, let's remember, of course, that the Riders had a Canadian receiver get signed by the NFL this past year in Braden Lenius. Braden Lenius was with the Atlanta Falcons, tried to convert to tight end, got cut, came back up to Saskatchewan. Great player. But if I get the choice of either of them, 
I'm taking Key and Schaefer Baker. So if 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 we saw Braden Lenius get signed coming out of the same offense, same team, same everything, I think that we will definitely see Key and Schaefer Baker get signed. If anything, I think Key and Schaefer Baker has a higher NFL ceiling because he didn't play at marquee schools like Braden Lenius did. Braden Braden Lenius right played at two quite high profile NCAA schools, whereas Schaefer Baker played at a youth sports program that that wasn't even Laval or Western. All due respect to your Guelph Griffins dunk. So to me, I'm I'm curious to see what Key and Schaefer Baker can do with that opportunity. Yeah. I think it's important to to provide a little context to this conversation as well before we move on. We've, we've discussed some of these names, and I'm sure there are fans out there who look at the list of players who are going to NFL tryouts, and, and they go, that guy? Really? That guy? Really? Like, he was our second best receiver. He was our third best receiver. You know, this was not necessarily a, a dominant player in the CFL, and yet he's getting an NFL workout. And for fans, you need to remember that the NFL is not necessarily looking for a CFL all-star. They don't care about that. And they care about production only to a certain extent. They are looking for guys who are young enough, as Hodge alluded to, that they have developmental potential, right? So usually under that 26 mark, sometimes you'll have a couple of guys who are a little bit older if they have more of a pedigree but you want younger guys and you want guys with unique size or unique traits. So you talk about Jamal Peters, 6'2", 220. For a defensive back, for a guy who plays corner, that's tremendous size, right? That's unique size. You look at Trey Ford and his speed, his athleticism, right? That's a unique trait that you can take and develop. Whereas there's a lot of guys who find success in the CFL who are smaller maybe not as quick and so they use the the waggle to their advantage and they're really good route runners but they don't have that top end speed or that unique size and the cfl game fits them better the nfl is not as interested in those guys even if they are dominant players at the cfl level occasionally you're so dominant they'll take you anyway have a look but those guys don't often have success So we need to remember as fans, when we look at these lists and occasionally you see someone pop up at an NFL workout that you would never expect to see there, what exactly these scouts are looking for. And really it's age and unique size and traits that they think they can project onto an NFL roster in a specific role or that they think their coaches can develop into something greater. Former CFL QB Chris Strevler got into the New York Jets. Week 16 loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars, completing 10 of 15 pass attempts for 90 yards and rushing nine times for 54 more yards. He was also active for New York's 23-6 loss to Seattle in Week 17, but took no snaps at quarterback. What does that mean for Strevler and his future? It means that he's secured a nice $20,000 U.S. when he's out of the NFL in terms of their pension for the rest of his life. And that's going to go up in a couple of years and probably will keep ticking up as the big, bad NFL continues to boost revenues and grow. So it's a minor thing to a lot of people, but it's major for Strebler to get here. And there was some thought that, Would the Jets activate him 
and be the ones on the hook for having to pay that pension because a lot of times that's what happens with players is they get close they get literally one game away from getting that pension but the team knows it as well and they don't want to use that player to be on the hook for it now the jets are in a predicament let's say at the quarterback position because of what's happened with some of their other quarterbacks on the roster namely zach wilson i hope i'm getting that right is it zach wilson yes Yes. Okay. Just want to double check. I don't know why I'm thinking of Russell Wilson as well, but anyways, with Zach Wilson was <laughs> well, a second overall are, pick. Neither yeah, of them are very good. So from another mother. Um, yeah, not very good either and getting paid too much money, probably just like Zach Wilson is. So with what's going on with Zach Wilson and Robert Sala clearly loves Strevler's intangibles in his attitude. And every single time he's been in the game at quarterback for the Jets preseason or regular season, he has moved that offense. He has given them a boost of energy. And he's looked, honestly, very good as a passer. Yes, we know what he can do with his legs, but I think he's looked great in the preseason. And yes, it was against competition that was not what you're going to see in the regular season. But when he came into that game against the Jaguars, he looked solid. He looks like he's really worked on his mechanics and his eyes and a lot of things that are going to make you a great quarterback but most importantly his anticipation so I think he looks like a guy who could be in the NFL for a little while longer and for my money you know outside of Mike White could be the best quarterback on the roster in New York he's outplayed Zach Wilson although it's in a small sample size Joe Flacco's getting up there in age but he has shown that he can still play well even though he's been in the NFL for a long time Mike White is in, Mike White is intriguing and, you know, the Jets are probably going to look to draft and bring in at least one other quarterback. Maybe it's not a high pick, but in the 2023 NFL draft, that's likely something they could do under Salah. But Strebler seems to have those intangibles. So I think it's great for him. It's such a cool story that he went from this legend in the CFL, rocking a fur coat and sunglasses and a cowboy hat, the Grey Cup parade, to getting his NFL pension, which is three accrued seasons for the uninitiated out there that's what Strebler's done you don't have to play in that many games you just need to be active for those three accrued seasons and the fact that he has that nice little security check of cash coming in every year for what he's done in the NFL I think is well warranted because he puts in the work we see some of the stuff that he puts online on social media in the off season and he just seems like one of those dudes that you'd want to have a beer with, you'd probably want to party with, and that you would certainly get behind and cheer for. And we know that from the traffic on anything we write about him on Three Down Nation. Yeah, I'll say this. Zach Wilson is awful. (laughs) Unbelievably bad. For a player who was taken second overall just recently, the 2021 NFL draft, he looks shockingly bad. And we know that Chris Trevler, I'm sorry, Dunk, I don't think he's a very good passer whatsoever but he can run the hell out of the football. And he's a guy who exactly, as you mentioned, has those leadership capabilities, has those intangibles that I'm sorry, Zach Wilson is also lacking. When he got benched for Mike White, he pouted on the sideline like a little kid. Whereas a true leader, someone who you can actually build a franchise around, would never have done that. They would have responded better and supported the team. So to me, Chris Streveler can run and he can lead. And Zach Wilson can't pass, can't run, and can't lead. So to me, 
who you want to build your, not necessarily your offense around, but who you want to build in as your second string quarterback is pretty clear to me. I don't see Chris Trevler ever as an NFL starter. No disrespect to him, but I would happily as an NFL team have him as my number two. Again, a player who's super versatile, super athletic. He was playing some special teams this past week. Jordan Lynch, by the way, from the 2015 Edmonton Elks has his hand up saying, hey, I did that first as a backup quarterback. But still, Chris Trevler is on special teams. We know how fun, he is, how fun it is to be around him. To me, Streveler should have a bright future with the Jets, if the Jets are smart. Because again, the Zach Wilson kid they drafted has been awful. So bad. Streveler, of course, is the prime example of what I just talked about in terms of size and unique traits not being necessarily a dominant CFL player, but having value in the NFL because of this. And I think to Dunk's point, as much as you're going to doubt his passing ability, Hodge, and it's still not going to be up to necessarily a starter's level, there has been progress there, right? Over the last three years, he has made strides. He has made improvements. Now, I will note that he missed... Uh, he underthrew what was uh, pretty much a clear deep shot touchdown pass in that that action he got against the Jags, right? So it's not perfect yet, right? There are still throws he's missing, but it's much improved. He's much more efficient than he was in the CFL or even in his earlier days with the Cardinals. And I think he has shown himself to be a more complete quarterback now than when he left. And I think this week, coming up is going to be pretty critical for Chris Strebler's future because we all saw what he did coming off the bench in week 16. And then we were excited to see hopefully some package action in week 17. And Mike White went out there who the Jets now think is he maybe the quarterback of the future because Zach Wilson sucks so bad. And he stank out the joint in that game. He was just awful. And the Jets were losing, they weren't coming back, and they still didn't put Strevler in, which I was disappointed to see. I was hoping they would give him another shot to to get a little bit of a spark. And and now that the the playoffs are basically out of reach, it's done. The last week of the season, I would hope to see Strevler get some snaps in this game. And if he does, I think there's probably a future for him in New York. And, and they're intrigued enough by him to give him a look and bring him back next year. If he doesn't, to me, that's a red flag. That, to me, says we love the storyline, we like the guy, but we don't necessarily see this working long-term because we don't trust the passing ability or whatever it may be. So this week, to me, if he's activated again and he plays, that's a really good sign for Chris Strebler, and I hope that is the case for him. Trev, Strebler, excuse me, has proven a couple things. One, that he can bring a great energy and be a leader. And two, that he can be a backup quarterback in the NFL. He can perform when called upon, and that's very valuable. So I think you're right, JC, in terms of his future in New York, that the last regular season week will potentially tell us what could happen there with the Jets. But for everybody else in the NFL, now there's even more film on Strebler him being improved as a passer. He's still not high-end hard, so I agree with you there. I'm not going to get in a Nathan Rourke argument like JC and you have going on constantly. But 
Strevler is improved, and I think he's shown that he can be a backup quarterback. So if you're the Jets, let's say hypothetically you go into next season with Mike White as your starter, maybe you draft somebody else, and you have Chris Strevler still on your roster, on the active roster on game day, that's a solid situation to be in because you know the guy can come in and play some special team snaps. He's going to be a great leader and just has that winning attitude that raises the level of the room in terms of the energy. And you know he can come into a game and perform in a blink. Like he's done that multiple times. So I think that's critical for Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, a general manager there when they're making evaluations. We'll see if Douglas is even around because I think there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on him with the Zach Wilson pick. But Strebler has shown that he can be a more than competent NFL backup, and that could be lucrative for Mr. Strebler. Riders president Craig Reynolds told Murray McCormick of the Regina Leader Post that he's pleased his team has fewer consecutive home games in 2023, a change that was made league-wide. Do you think this change could help attendance this upcoming season? I do, and I will give the league credit. This is never something that has necessarily crossed my mind as a way to buoy fans, let's say, or buoy attendance, buoy fan interests. But that being said, I know that as someone who now you know goes to games as a journalist and covers them in the press box, I don't feel as excited to go to the stadium on, let's say, a Thursday if I've just been there the previous Friday for a game. I don't get as excited for the games. I don't get hyped for the games. They start to feel like a bit more of a chore. And I say that recognizing that I'm very privileged to be in that situation where I can cover games from the press box. I did pay for season tickets for many, many years before joining Three Down Nation. That being said, I do think that this is a good way to potentially buoy attendance, right? If you are looking to garner more fans and have have teams or have fans come more consistently, generate larger crowds, having more consistent start times, which they've done, should theoretically help. But also, I think having opportunities where you can be there every second week, right, just creates a little bit longer gaps where people, and by the way, a lot of people get paid bi-weekly. Tickets are not cheap. If you can create a structure where fans can time their paychecks with when they pay for tickets, if they're not a season ticket holder necessarily, I think helps. So this is something that, again, has never occurred to me before it was brought up in this interview. And I thought, you know what? Credit to the CFL. This actually makes a lot of sense to me, just from my own experience covering games. If they're two weeks apart, I'm always more psyched to go and cover a game than if it's two, three in a row when it starts to feel a little bit like a chore. I was exactly the same way, Hodge. I'd never thought of this. It hadn't even crossed my mind. But when it was mentioned in this interview, the wheels started turning, and I realized it's going to help every team, right? Because of the reasons you've mentioned in terms of apathy happening when there's too many consecutive home games, but for certain teams, especially the riders, there is such a traveling fan base, right? How many people come to mosaic stadium from across the province of Saskatchewan drive multiple hours to get to the stadium, spend a buttload of money on, gas and uh, snacks for the road and then beer at the game. And then maybe they have to stay overnight because they had a few too many beers at the game. There's a cost associated with that whole experience of going to a Riders game. If you're a traveling fan and if that's happening 
for three consecutive weeks, that's just not going to be tenable for you as a person or as a family financially or just from a time perspective, right? If you can spread out those games, you get more and more of those fans who travel into games, who pay for season tickets, even though they live a considerable distance away, coming in every week. And so you don't have that paid attendance that looks so much higher than the people who are actually in the stands because you have empty seats because people just have decided not to make it that week because it wasn't worth it. I think that's a bad look for the league, even though it doesn't necessarily financially hit the teams right away, right? The, the perception of having empty stadiums is not a good one, especially when that's being broadcast on TV and people see empty seats. That deteriorates the league's image over time. You want to make sure that the people who are paying for the product are there to see the product. I think this helps big time. It's maybe not going to help as much in Toronto or in Montreal or even out here in Vancouver, although it will to a certain extent for people who come in from the Valley or from, from the island and elsewhere. But for places like Saskatchewan and I think Winnipeg and even the teams in Alberta, where there is much more of that traveling culture, this is going to be huge for them. It's very smart from the CFL, and we are critical of the league and hold them to account on issues that we feel differently on and things that they could do better. But this is a smart move. And Hodge, as you said, it's not something that we've ever talked about or probably even ever thought about. So I think it's a great idea to try and boost the home attendance around the league. I will say, JC, to your point of wanting to see pack stands on TV, I wish there was a way, especially in Toronto, that they could shoot the cameras the other way or put the fans that do show up on the other side of the field because the direction they're shooting now makes it look like there's absolutely nobody there. When in reality, on the other side behind the benches, there's usually a decent amount of fans. It's not a bunch. It's not a lot. But I wish that there could be something done there one way or another. The team or TSN come up with an idea to fix that situation. But I think overall, this is a great idea from the league's perspective, because when you space them out, I think you can get more excitement. You can create more hype in your home market. And as you mentioned, the example in Saskatchewan, you won't have people driving from let's say even Saskatoon, that's two and a half, three hours down the road twice in a week or thinking of doing that. Like that's a haul when you consider people are usually working 40 hours a week and now they're going to have to do that twice within a week. As much as they're diehard fans, there's probably one of those games that they're not going to go to just because of the travel that they have to do. So I think all around this deserves applause from the league. It's a smart move and I hope they can keep stacking these together. And by the way, I think the opposite of this is also good because if you're not having consecutive weeks with games, that also means that you're not having stretches of two, three, four weeks without a home game, which has also been previously featured in schedules. And as much as you don't want to group the games too closely together, I also think you don't want to spread them too far out to have fans maybe lose engagement, right? If you go a month without going into the stadium, all of a sudden, maybe you're not as excited to go back. It's like, wait, uh, when did they last play? I'm not really sure. Oh, okay, they've been on the road here. On the road. Oh, was that a bye week? I can't remember, right? Keeping it within two, two weeks, I think, is that happy medium where you're not losing engagement, but you're also maybe not saturating your market a little bit. It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment 
on this day in 2015, the Calgary Stampeders released star middle linebacker Juwan Simpson. The Alabama product recorded 395 career tackles, 24 sacks, seven forced fumbles, and three interceptions over eight seasons with the team, winning two great cups. Simpson signed a one-day contract with the team in 2019 to officially retire as a member of the Stampeders, and on Tuesday of this week was announced as the club's new defensive line coach. Boys, I'm curious, do you remember watching Juwan Simpson man the middle in Cowtown? Oh, yeah. He was a baller, and this is a great addition to their coaching staff because he was a leader on the field, and now I think he'll help develop some players for the Stamps. All right, the three-minute drill. The Toronto Argonauts have released veteran receiver Brandon Banks. Is that a surprise? Here's the surprising thing. Brandon Banks had a $35,000 off-season roster bonus due, but the date was January 1st. So... Though I have yet to confirm this, I suspect that the, the Argos paid him his bonus before cutting him, which is an interesting thing to do. Honorable from the team side, probably not smart to do from a cap management standpoint. London, Ontario natives and twin brothers Chase and Sidney Brown have declared for the 2023 NFL draft. Do you think they'll both get taken? I think there's a good chance. I, I mean, Chase Brown, I think it's been a foregone conclusion for a while now that he'll get selected in the NFL draft. The The question is how high at the running back position he'll go. I'd suspect it's somewhere in that third, fourth round range for him. Sidney Brown, I wasn't always certain he was going to get selected, but I think he's done enough this season to earn a late round shot. He's not in a high value position, unfortunately, for him either. He's a box safety. He doesn't play up high. Um, sort of almost a hybrid I would stick him at linebacker when, uh, if he eventually comes to the CFL in fact so not high value for the NFL draft but certainly enough that they'll want him there as a special teams body especially with his brother's pedigree as well four-time NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers told Sportsnet that though he never anticipates playing in the league the CFL game is fun to watch did that surprise you it didn't because way back when Michael Riley was actually in a training cramp with the Green Bay Packers and kept in touch with Rodgers from time to time. So he knew about the entertaining CFL game. Well, I mean, entertaining when Nathan Rourke is at quarterback in this day and age. In the past, it was highly entertaining. There was a dry spell there for a while. So let's hope the CFL can keep up this football that has us glued to screens across the country and around the world. Al's GM Dan Machocha told the media that Jason Moss has a clause in his contract stating that he has to pay for anything he breaks on the sidelines. Do you think he was joking? It's one of those things that on the one hand, when I, when I heard that comment, I assumed it was a joke. And the more that I thought about it, I thought maybe this isn't a joke. So I, I'd like to know if it was a joke. It was funny. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a joke. Canadian quarterback Christian Villeneuve has transferred from Penn State to the University of Pittsburgh. Is that a prudent move? Yeah, he, he unfortunately wasn't going to get onto the field at Penn State. He got jumped on the depth chart by another highly ranked uh, or highly recruited quarterback there in Penn State. Goes to Pitt. He'll have a chance to start in the near future. I think that will be good for his development, good for his pro prospects down the line. So hopefully we can see another Canadian quarterback not named Nathan Rourke in the NFL one day. The Riders and Argos will play this year's edition of Touchdown Atlantic, scheduled for Saturday, July 29th at Husky Stadium in Halifax. 
JC, what do you think? Can we get Hodge out of Winnipeg to come to the East Coast with us this year? I think we'll, we're, if we promise him some lobster rolls, I think he'll come out for that. Yeah, that it's, it's on the house, Hodge. Yeah, it was I'll delicious. Say, I'll say it this way. If you guys want to get me out there this year, food is the right tool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll serve it up, buddy. Quarterbacks coach Will Arndt left the Ottawa Red Blacks to resume his playing career at the age of 29. Do you think he get, gets signed by a CFL team? No, but that doesn't mean that he can't keep playing, whether he goes to the ELF overseas, whether he goes to another domestic league uh, or another continental league in North America. Credit to him. The dream never dies. Ottawa native Jesse Lukita reacted to the news that Arizona Cardinals teammate J.J. Watt was retiring while on drugs after getting his wisdom teeth removed. What did you make of his reaction? It was absolutely hilarious. If you haven't seen the clip yet, go on 3Down Nation, look up Lakaga's name, and you will see multiple articles on this situation. You'll find the clip in one of those articles. It is hilarious. The guy is out of his mind after the surgery. Absolutely incoherent. It is hilarious. One of the best wisdom tooth removal stories you will ever hear. The Ottawa Red Blacks have signed star returner Devontae Dedman to a two-year contract extension, keeping him in the nation's capital through 2024. Is that a good transaction? It's a very good move for the Ottawa Red Blacks, and I'd like to see him used on offense as well in the nation's capital. The Riders are reportedly adding former receiver Naaman Roosevelt to their coaching staff. Is that a smart move? Naaman is a super smart guy and somebody who I think has always been interested in getting into coaching post-playing career. It's a very good move for that organization. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders offensive coordinator Kelly Jeffrey said the team could win a great cup with Cody Fajardo at quarterback. Do you believe that's possible? Uh, anything is possible, Hodge, but I'm not sure I'd be putting down any money on that happening anytime soon. The BC Lions released all-star defensive back Luchez Purifoy today. Is that a surprise? It is, but Purifoy is a bit of an acquired taste, and he was somewhat pricey for the Lions. And I think, you know, some educated people out there like Mr. Hodge probably already know where he's likely to end up. Finally, we would like to acknowledge the passing of Edmonton Elks return specialist Christian Salisbury, who was shot and killed on December 17th in Memphis, Tennessee. Three Now Nation extends our sincerest condolences to his family and friends during this difficult time. We'll be back next week with the latest episode of the Three Down Pod.